with so many new articles coming out each month, who has time to read them all? On each episode of this podcast, we cover one article in the academic field of game studies in 15 minutes or less. Maybe you're an academic looking for a way to stay current in the field while also spending some time on the treadmill. Or maybe you're an avid gamer and theory crafter working on expanding your knowledge of game studies. Either way, listen in and listen up. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Game Studies Review. I'm Alex Lane, and I'm joined today by Dr. Cody Reimer. How's it going, Cody? Tell us a little about yourself. Uh, it's going well, Alex. Thanks. I am Cody Reimer, Assistant Professor of English at the University of Wisconsin-Stout, where I teach courses in the Professional Communication and Emerging Media Program. Very fancy. Uh, and yeah, it's I, so I teach courses in introductory and advanced composition, technical communication, journalism, digital humanities, all sorts of fun stuff. Well, that sounds uh, pretty awesome. Uh, all right. Well, we have uh, we better get to it tonight. We're here to talk about the right way to play a game by C. Tai Nguyen, published in Game Studies, Volume 19, Issue 1, in May 2019. Uh, Game Studies is a really cool journal. They're open source, uh, online. They are, um, the the start of Game Studies as a field. They've been there um, publishing stuff. Uh, They they say in their uh, description of themselves that they are here to explore the rich cultural genre of games. Uh, give scholars a peer-reviewed forum for their ideas and theories to provide an academic channel for the ongoing discussions on games and gaming. And I think uh, Cody would probably agree with me that they they do that. Yes, they do. All right. So uh, one minute summary of the article at hand. Cody, go. All right. Uh, Wynn applies perspective ontology to establish a baseline for what constitutes a, quote, minimally adequate encounter end quote, with games. Uh, He further endeavors to explain some special prescriptions to which players must adhere to have a shared experience. Uh, In essence, he is saying that there is a right way to play and it is as the developer intended. And that intent is not upset by the notion that like the author is dead Mm -hmm. or by plays definitional uh, kind of radical freedom. He is approaching this from a philosophical point of view saying, listen, people are making the argument that play is radical and that there's no wrong way to play. And he's saying, well, that's not, that's silly. Of course, there's a right way to play and it's, you have to play the game. You can't, you can't interact with the experience by like licking it it Mm -hmm. or eating it. You, you got to play it and you've got to play it at least something like what the developers seem to, you know, intend by how they have made the game. And that's where it gets super sticky. And that's where I wish he had spent more time. But that's the summary that there are there are prescriptions to which gamers must adhere for a minimally adequate encounter with a game. I, it seems uh, weird to me that we need an entire academic article saying that we don't we can't say we've played a game if we ate it. But uh, here we are. I'm, I'm uh, reminded. I, I, I got I to gotta fit this in. I'm sorry. I, in my one minute summary, I was reminded uh, of this line by Marku Eskalinen, in, uh, who's published in uh, Game Studies, but in first person scholar, or no, in mm-hmm. first person, the, the edited collection by Wardrop Fruin. Um, yeah, I know. It's at all, right? The narratology, the, the debate. The right? debate. The, the first big debates. Marku Eskalinen had a piece where, he was uh, kind of 
uh, militantly decrying the narratologists and said, if you throw a ball to me, uh, or if I throw a ball to you, sorry, if I throw a ball to you, I don't expect you to drop it and wait for it to start telling you a story. <laughs> and that's like the thesis of wins peace, right? If somebody throws your ball, you fucking throw it back. Yeah. That's the game. You yeah. play the game of catch. That's well, it. You can let it go to the ground, but you're playing a different game than catch. Well, well right. But like, I feel like Escalinen did this whole piece in a single line. So anyways, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, regardless, let's talk about the things that uh, this article did contribute because there are some interesting stuff that it contributes. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I thought was most remarkable as I was reading, uh, despite I think you as well, despite being unfamiliar with the debates going on around a few of the different uh, terms being used, prescriptive ontology, aesthetic communication, etc. Uh, so he positions games as works of aesthetic communication uh, where one person, or in the case of games, I would guess a team, brings about an experience in another. So uh, much different than uh, the author being totally separated from the piece and you just experiencing it however you're going to, the, the aesthetic communication brings about a particular experience and that's what he is saying games are. Um, if you're going to play them and not eat them, of course. Uh, three types of games he talks about, um, they're useful, interesting complement to genre-based approaches. He talks about um, the deep, what was it? Deep strategy, uh, party games. And community evolution and games. community evolution games. Yeah. Um, so he calls this prescriptive ontology. Now I will hold back my eye roll whenever we're talking about ontology because that term has just been sullied for me by the object-oriented ontologists. I have to like brush my shoulder off and push the glasses up on my nose and whatever when I'm uh, reading about them. But anywho, sort of interesting, uh, not genre though, he points out. And games, games <laughs> at their essence, he positions them of having prescribed play, which I think is not new uh but but interesting that like in if it's a game it needs to have some kind of prescribed play such a you know an interesting way to kind of think about the magic circle i suppose um and he doesn't really bring that up does he no no that is not mentioned uh and really the piece is going into depth about i think kind of at the core is whether play is essentially rule-based or essentially free-based uh, not that kind of free-based, but... Free-based and play. Free-based play. Uh, he, uh, he's railing against, at the beginning, um, is it, who, who is it that he's talking, who says that uh, play is free for Sickert. Yeah, Sickert. M Miguel Sickert and uh, Leno. Yeah, so, so against folks like that who say that play is essentially free. So uh, why don't we talk about some gaps that you see? Uh, so there's several several gaps or challenges that I had with this piece. Um, I think that the exigence is sort of shoehorned. I think some of the analogies are faulty and I think there's some, some kind of gross and dangerous oversights. Uh, the reason he's writing this is to address Leno and Sickart's recent arguments that there is no right way to play, except that when is discussing play seemingly and it's not quite clear, but it seems to be as it pertains to game studies scholars. So he's mm. saying that for game studies scholars to have a minimally adequate encounter with the game, they need you know to be able to analyze it or write about it, to do scholarship on it, they, there's a right way to play. 
And that's not what Sickhart and, and Lano are saying. Uh, but Sickhart's not talking about just game study scholars. He's just talking about play. Like play is, and I think he had like, if I remember correctly, seven characteristics, right? It's carnivalesque, it's disruptive, appropriative, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so because Sickhart's not constraining himself in such a way, uh, I think this piece could be more clearly situated in, in that half. Uh, as for faulty analogies, Wynn favors a lot of analogies that are indebted to his framework, uh, which is the prescriptive ontology, which derives from analytic aesthetics. And those focus on artworks and, and works, such as like movies and novels, media that are distinct from games. And he never defines games, never defines play. And so I found myself over and over again when he's talking about like, well, you don't lick books and you don't read the words out of order saying that, but that's a book. But also <laughs> like when you're talking about the brothers Karamazov, what about different translations, right? This is mm. gatekeeping 101. Oh, but if you haven't read it in the original Russian, have you really experienced it? I mean, he's not- Fair question. Right. And, and that's never addressed. Like you've got to read the words in the order. That's part of the kind of prescription of reading a book. Well, no shit, man. But listen, <laughs> games are different than books. And we know this. He knows this. And there were times where I was like, yes, everything you're saying feels reasonable. And then he uses an analogy. And I just want to like close the window oh. um, anyway. So then some faulty analogies and then gross oversights. And for me, these oversights overshadow everything else. Um, I think that there are there's a complete lack of appreciation for how these philosophical determinations impact actual people in the mm -hmm. form of gatekeeping that disenfranchises disabled gamers and enhances toxicity in competitive games and doesn't recognize or capture its application in non-zero-sum games because every game example he talks about is a non-zero-sum game and he talks about these prescriptions for play that put people who are you know gaming in novel ways at a kind of uncomfortable uh distance um and he's talking about theory crafting with now never without ever really addressing it in ways that myself and others like paul uh i think it's christopher a paul have pointed out are, are really dangerous so I, I those are some big gaps for me yeah that's uh yikes that's what I got to say to that. Uh, well, let's talk about something we did like about the article. Um, I thought uh, the, the, I have a few highlights throughout, but one of the big things that we haven't mentioned yet um, was the idea of speed, speed running and different ways of playing the game. How, yes, you've played the game, but you've played a different game than other people. I thought that was kind of a cool way to think about it. Um, yeah. I've, I've played wow for the narrative or I've played it just for the farming or whatever. And so my play is essentially different than someone who plays it to be bleeding edge. Like I thought that was um, maybe dangerous, but I, I, I was like, that could, that's an area that we could sort of go into um, that we're making different games through our play, even though we're interacting with the same artifact. I thought that was kind of cool. What about you? There were, there were several times early on before he got to the speed running part where I was just thinking like, you better be, you better fucking talk about modding communities and speed running. Mm -hmm. And there's, there are several things that if you're going to try to make this argument, you better account for. And he didn't get to modding. He sort of like dismissed it as I'm not interested in the material components of the game, which 
fine. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, you know, speed running communities, I was happy he's, that he kind of situated that within his framework. Yeah. Um, anything you loved? It made me think in some great ways. I thought it was really, it challenged me in, in make, you know, in thoughtful and productive ways as far as like, I try to read it very generously and not just scoff. Um, and I, so I got a lot out of it just in like clarifying how I think about and approach games. I think some of the vocabulary that he used uh, could be helpful as you were saying in complementing genre-based approaches to understanding games. I, I think the, the it, it kind of oozes pretension in a lot of ways, but there are concepts that can be um, valuably applied. Yeah, I would say um, moving on to things that made me go, uh, uh, we renamed from the segment things I hated. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. It was, uh, it, it's one of the articles, and this is not a knock on, on this author. I think this is very common. It's just one of those articles that I'm like, okay, so take your head out of your ass for a second and just tell me what you're actually trying to say because I don't get it. This, again, is not a knock on him uh, that's just philosophy more on uh, yeah more on philosophy and and uh, academic writing in general because like i kid i kid i'm just i'm like i don't i don't i don't get the nuances here and okay maybe i do get them and then they seem stupid to me so it's just that whole genre of philosophical writing bothers me what about you uh, things that made me go, I wanted to see him address a lot of important scholarship to game studies that yeah. would have aided in him in situating his argument. He doesn't talk about um, the uh, the kind of concept of the spoil sport from Heisinga. Mm -hmm. When Heisinga is talking about the magic circle, he's like, cheaters, everybody doesn't like them because they cheat, but spoil sports just ruin the game. They're not playing the game at all, or they're playing their own version of the game, right? And that seems significant. We, he doesn't when talk I about, about spoil sporting, we throw balls to each other, and I try to get people to be the spoil sport and see what that looks like. So Wait and see if one starts talking to you. Mm. He doesn't talk about like, you know, Bernard Suits or Colloy. I think the losery attitude and Colloy's many different kind of definitions of play are all really helpful and valuable. He doesn't talk about um, a lot of the scholarship that I think would really help, you know, situate this approach within um, within game studies. And a lot, I, I really wanted to see a lengthy, um, kind of example of a competitive game where players have played in ways that the developers clearly did not intend, but then became meta and became designed around because mm. all of his game examples were just like really skimpy. Yeah. And I, um, I, he needed to like richly engage with an extended example and case study to make this work for me. But you know, no, that, I, that, that made me go, mm. So what would you say the bottom line is for this? Bottom line is um, I love reading game studies work from other disciplines uh, that use concepts that I'm not familiar with. They make me think, they challenge me. Um, I, I enjoyed reading it, you know, just judging by how many notes I took, um, even if some of them were a little bit uh, snarky. But I did, I do think it's valuable. I did enjoy reading it. It's a bit long, but if this is kind of in your wheelhouse or you want a punching bag about, you know, cause you line up with Sickert, then you absolutely got to read it. Booyah to that. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. And Thanks for uh, having me. yeah, thank you for uh, listening audience to our review of wins 2019 article, the right way to play a game. Uh, if you have a book or an article that you'd rather hear us talk about than read yourself, please email us at gamestudiesreview at gmail.com. Thank you.